welcome to Your Cron, short for Your Chronicles. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Your Cron is a podcast where we chronicle ordinary people and their extraordinary stories. We refer to ordinary people on this show as people who are non-celebrities. Our goal is simple, entertain our audience and perhaps even inspire and educate. At the same time, our guests build a part of their legacy through this unique audio opportunity. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. Well, we're very excited to have our guest today, Louis Kutza from Iceland. We're in Iceland, so we're breaking format a little bit today. Uh, Levon and I are uh, sightseeing and uh, going on a tour with Louis, and uh, we've been chatting, driving to our first destination, which is on the uh, southern coast of Iceland, and right now we're driving down the highway looking at lava fields with some patches of ice and snow. Let's see, uh, the weather today is cloudy drizzly it's been raining all week but uh, we're having a ball so uh, the weather is good inside but um, and, good, uh, good for Iceland as well outside <laughs> <laughs> this is good yeah. for Iceland yeah yeah so it's about uh, I guess 40 degrees uh, Fahrenheit and this is May late May actually uh, tomorrow's Memorial Day in the U.S., so uh, 95 back in Texas, where we're from, so very, uh, you know, 50 degrees cooler than what we're used to. But um, anyway, so uh, Louie's been filling us in on uh, a lot of cool information, so I wanted to hit record and uh, and capture some of it. And uh, we've been talking about uh, things like uh, distance around Iceland is how far is it, Louie? Uh, around 1,300 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is in miles, though. <laughs> and then, tell tell us about uh, yourself and uh, uh, you know one thing that uh, I ask our podcast guests typically is uh, uh, where's a good place to start your extraordinary story. So maybe uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up here uh, with us today. <laughs> well. Um, it's a pretty long story if I begin from the start. Sure. Uh, I grew up on a, a sheep and game farm in the middle of the Kalahari Desert in Namibia. And later on I went on to study in, in Cape Town in South Africa. And uh, yeah, after my studies I, I decided to travel a little bit and wanted to go somewhere cold and exciting. And Iceland seems seem to fill that criteria uh, the same as it does for people traveling here today that's why the, the tourism industry is going so good so my I got an internship here to work as a guide and uh, turns out my six months internship uh, went on to about 12 years <laughs> with a family and I just fell in love with Iceland immediately so so your your kids were born here. Yes. Yeah. 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 And how how old are your 
kids. Um, uh, I have an eight-year-old daughter and a two-year-old daughter. Yeah. Wonderful. So. Wonderful. Yeah, and I've been guiding ever since I came to Iceland, basically. So I know the country pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, and you, uh, when we were chatting earlier, you also are a scuba instructor. Yeah, I started scuba diving in the little bit warmer waters of of um, Cape Town in South Africa and that's what initially led me to come here the, the interest in scuba diving between the two tectonic plates which is uh, one of the most unique dives you can do in the world so since then I've done around 2000 dives between the two tectonic plates the Eurasian and uh, the North American plate so. yeah and so what what makes it uh, unique about diving between tectonic plates? So you see a lot of cliffs and structure and that kind of stuff, or what, what makes it unique? Um, first of all, I think it's just the the fact that you are on technically on no tectonic plate when you are diving, and to one side of you when you're diving in a in these fissures created by the movement of the two tectonic plates. Um, to one side, you're you're seeing the North American plate. To the other side, you're seeing the the Eurasian plate. And then um, the water that fills these fissures come from a glacier about an hour's drive away to the north. And uh, this water gets filtered through lava rock, which is about 9,000 years old. And the water takes between 10 and 100 years to reach uh, these fissures. So by the time the water gets to the fissures, they're very much filtered and crystal clear. That means when, when you're diving between the plates, you're diving in water that you cannot see. So it kind of gives you the feeling of floating in space. A very relaxing and meditating feeling. Yeah. Very cool. So you dove in uh, Cape Town, and uh, South Africa coastline is known for great white sharks, right? Yes. Uh, any uh, encounters with great whites? Uh, fortunately not, Yeah. though I was always uh, wondering what was beneath me, especially when I was on the surface of wow. the water, because their main uh, prey is uh, seals, uh -huh. and uh, as a diver you kind of look like a seal when you're high up in the water. Right. So, but uh, I encountered a lot of other sharks, ragged sharks, uh, bronze sharks. Um, no great, great ones though, not yeah. that I know of. Yeah. So I just noticed uh, we passed up the, the Icelandic horses. Yes. Uh, yeah. What, uh, What's the what's the story with the Icelandic horses? Why are their manes so long? Do you know anything about them? Um, I'm not sure about the manes being long, but Icelandic horses are unique to Iceland. Uh -huh. They are a breed that was uh, brought over from from uh, the Nordic countries uh -huh. uh, around the nine, year 900. Uh -huh. uh, I'm not exactly sure about that date, but. That's the, the time that settlers came over here, between uh -huh. eight and 900. Uh -huh. And um, since then, they've been the only horse breed in Iceland. 
they are very hardy horses. They they are the only animal farm animal that's um, legally be allowed to be outside in the winter time. And um, they are very kind natured. So they are almost more like like uh, a dog. They'll come to the fence if you call them. And uh, it's actually the only horse that I would walk behind without worrying um, too much about being kicked. Wow. Um, so much like the people of Iceland, very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that it, that <laughs> nice agrees. Nice people, nice horses. Yeah. yeah. yeah so um, and also very interesting. They're they don't look that tough. They are they are on average two centimeters mm. or. I guess just over an inch, yeah. tall enough to be called a horse and not a pony. <laughs> so um, it's a big no-no to to call him a pony in front of <laughs> horse people. They yeah. get offended. Yeah. Yeah. And then they are um, um, what people in the states don't don't really uh, wouldn't really attempt is to eat horse meat, which is also a very traditional food in Iceland. Oh. And uh, they are. They have a very big export market to, to, to the States, to Canada and to other European countries because of their kind nature and their low maintenance and their hardiness. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Now, um, before we hit record, uh, you, you had mentioned some kind of interesting fun facts uh, about Iceland. We talked about the, the distance around, but you had also talked about uh, relative to the rest of the world how young of a landmass this is uh, of course yeah. it's all made up of uh, volcanic rock so uh, remind me yeah. uh, again I guess the the age of Iceland relative to the, the planet okay so um, Iceland is um, is the highest point on the mid-atlantic ridge which is actually the longest mountain range in the world and um, Iceland started from the ocean bottom about 24 million years ago and reached above sea level about 15 million years ago. So um, if you compare that to the world's age, which is about four and a half billion years old, it's actually a very young land mass. And um, yeah, so all everything here is still in the beginning stages of, of uh, Ecologically wise, mm. so yeah, it's a Iceland is kind of an interesting experiment <laughs> to see how how the world reacted first um, uh, when it first uh, uh, when first life happened on mm. Earth. Yeah, yeah. Iceland got born into a new atmosphere, though, so there might be a slight differences to to that time. Yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump around with sort of, sort of some random uh, thoughts and questions since we've been here for yeah, uh, a couple of days now. Um, okay, so it's getting it it really never gets dark completely. Uh, I guess between uh, maybe midnight and 2 a.m. is when it's darkest, but it never really gets dark completely. But in the winter time, of course, that's total opposite. You said there's about three hours of light, and I asked you uh, what does your tour business continue during the winter and, and uh, that was kind of an interesting uh, way you described how the business plan or model changes a little bit during that time. 
Yeah. So in the winter time is is a, a lower season in tourism for us, but we are still busy because in the summer a lot of people come from abroad to to help us out with the guiding and in the tourism sector because June, July, August is really our main tourist season where we have uh, basically 24 hours uh, daylight uh, for a part of the summer so we can we can do quite a lot of sightseeing in that time mm -hmm. and then uh, yeah uh, in winter time we have of course only those three hours to work with so we'll we'll leave town in pitch black darkness and uh, drive to where the main destinations are do the sightseeing um, in that three hours time and then and then head back home and get into the capital city Reykjavik uh, in complete darkness again so it's quite it's quite a a rush to get everything in in a, in a day of traveling That's, yes yeah yeah and then of course the driving conditions are are much uh, tougher in the winter time yeah. um, many days the roads are solid ice with with blizzards going on so yeah yeah exciting yeah <laughs> and uh, I also heard another little fun fact uh, uh, from a gentleman earlier uh, in the week that said that this is uh, a record rainfall month for you is that um, yes there's, there's records being set uh, through the last years all over the world I guess uh -huh. but um, Certainly, uh, this month has been the coldest May for us. One of the coldest May in about a, a century. Mm. So, yeah. it's not um, uncommon to have blizzards in the end of May. I've experienced that here, but mm. I guess overall it's not been a very warm uh, spring for us. Mm. Yeah, so we hope we've been having two wonderful summers the last two years. And uh, we really hope it's not payback time this summer, and oh. we'll have a little bit of, of warmth. Yeah. Yes. So we just pulled into a, a, a nice little town. What is this town that we're in? Uh, this town is called Selfos, mm -hmm. and um, Selfos. Probably the most important part of Selfos is that it's the the dairy capital of Iceland, mm. and also where the very famous Icelandic cheese slash yogurt comes from. Mm. called Skir mm. and uh, yeah so Selfos is a is about an hour's drive out of Reykjavik and a lot of people from the city are moving out here now it has most a lot of the main facilities you need mm. Mm -hmm. and um, accommodation in Reykjavik is getting expensive mm. so people are heading out to the to the country towns yeah it's one of the the nine towns in Iceland that has a population over 5,000 people. Ah. Now I noticed we just passed a Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, I've also noticed that Iceland... I was hoping you wouldn't notice. <laughs> Why is yeah. that? I don't know. It's, it's, it's very random. It doesn't fit really with this setting. But, yeah. It, it, well, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, but I've also noticed that uh, you have a subway here. And I was very surprised to see a Taco Bell. Yes. So what, what is, oh, and uh, we were told last night, um, there was actually a little uh, 
a disagreement though, but one person said Domino's is the best pizza they've ever had, and another person said uh, just straight up that, that that's not true. What is your uh, opinion of some of the American fast food chains in Iceland? Do you like any of them? Um, I do. I do order Domino's pizza uh, every now and then when we don't have time to to cook and it's a lazy yeah. evening with the spend more time with the kids rather. Yeah. So uh, I do quite frequently order from Domino's. Mm. I wouldn't say it's the best pizza. I would say it's the best value for money, though. Okay. In in Reykjavik and the most convenient. Mm. Fair enough. Although there is uh, another pizza joint called Eltsmedian, uh, which is which is my favorite. Yes. Yeah. And also the hot dogs are really big here in Iceland. People talk about the hot dogs all the time. And, you know, I always thought America's baseball hot dogs, apple pie, right? So why are hot dogs so popular in Iceland, in your opinion? I think it's, it, um, this is just um, what I'm thinking. It's mm. because there was an American military base here mm. um, for a while until the, the end of the Cold War. And um, I think it's that kind of influence. There's quite a lot of influence coming in from the United States. For instance, cars. Um, and so hot dogs came with, with that. And Icelanders made their own ingredients um, and sauces and added some extras and made the Icelandic hot dog. So now you can go to the famous hot dog stand, um, which has been serving hot dogs from 1947, I think. Wow. So for a long time. And then you have to ask for an Icelandic hot dog and you'll get it the typical Icelandic way. Um, I wouldn't say it's uh, it's a good hot dog, especially with a beer. I would say it's a unique hot dog. Unique? Yes. What, when you said in the Icelandic way, what describe what that is. Um, so you, you, they put a, something like uh, fried onions they put on the hot dog, for mm. instance, which is not uh, so common everywhere else. Mm. And then um, there is a, a kind of um, whitish mayonnaise sauce that I do not know the ingredients of, mm. which uh, gives it the, the specific Icelandic taste, okay. this kind of sauce. All right. So. Well, I'll have to try Certainly it have to try it, yes, yeah. after a beer or... Yeah, well, you, you told me when you picked us up, I need to try a hot dog and a beer, so I'm going to do that tonight, and I'm going to try it the Icelandic way, of course. Coming back to the to the, the, the U.S. influence, yeah. uh, from that time, uh, Icelandic society have been a little bit uh, back and forth about where they want to travel to if they travel. Icelanders do travel quite a lot to get off this, this rock. Yeah. Um, so you have, you have many families and people going to Europe, but you also have equally much people going to, to the US. And the same with cars people drive. Uh, many people love the US cars, which came in uh, at that time as well. And uh, then you'll have your, your European ones that drive more European cars. So actually it feels like Society is a little bit split, kind of like the two tectonic plates are splitting Iceland. <laughs> yeah. Interesting analogy. Yeah, uh, and I was surprised. Okay, so Iceland is, of course, considered Europe, and uh, I always thought 
uh, well, Americans, we think that uh, Europeans drive on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> but actually, you're driving on the same side of the road that we do, on the right side. Your steering wheel's on the normal side. Like you said, the, a lot of the uh, vehicles here are, are American. We're, uh, we're actually in a Land Rover uh, today. Very nice vehicle. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, so far what I've seen drive-wise, it's very American. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course, the, the whole Europe drives on this side of the road, on the right side. Yeah. Um, it's just the, the British the British and the British uh, uh, kind of old colonies that, that drive on the other side of the road. So it, that's pretty similar. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if one were to come to Iceland and want to um, connect with your tour guide service, how would they do that? Um, our company is called Basecamp Iceland. And, uh, we have a, a very beautiful website that, that you could visit and we specialize in customized private tours so um, making your dreams come true basically how you how you want to travel in Iceland um, yeah we're a small company and um, with uh, very many options for people that come here yeah yeah and uh the best way to uh, find your website is, is to, uh, how, how would they find Just, the uh, yeah, basecampiceland.is for, for Iceland, yeah. Very so, good. Wait, well, we're, we will refer back to that website periodically so folks can get in touch with you. And uh, tell us about our, our tour today, uh, generally some of the stops we're going to be making. Okay, so um, we're doing kind of the highlights uh, of the south and the east. So the east is more towards the center of, of Iceland. That's we'll, where we'll be heading off after we visited the south coast here. Um, and we're going to make a few uh, popular stops, um, with the first one being Selilandsfoss, a very beautiful, magical uh, waterfall um, that flows out from a glacier called Eyjafjallajökull, which is where the eruption happened, actually, in in 2010 which which some people might remember it stopped a lot of flights uh, in Europe especially and um, from there we'll be heading to a, a black beach which is very unique uh, to Iceland um, and uh, then to another beautiful waterfall called Gullfoss which is the most viewed waterfall in Iceland and uh, has quite a lot of nice history to it. That waterfall, come, the water there comes from a glacier called Langjökull, which is the second largest glacier in Iceland. In English it means long glacier. Um, then we'll visit the site of the, the where the original geyser is located, so where all other um, what you might call geysers or geysers in English. Um, where that word originally comes from. Um, after that we'll go to a, a beautiful volcanic crater uh, that had quite a big impact here in the south. And then we'll head off to, to Thingvellir National Park, which is um, right between the two tectonic plates and also where, where the diving 
uh, where the scuba diving takes place. So. Yeah, it's quite a day, uh, about a 10 hour ten day. Hours, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we start about 8.30 local time this morning. And uh, uh, now, uh, since we've been chatting, the, uh, the landscape has uh, changed a bit. I've seen a few more trees, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little less lava rock maybe. I don't know. What are we looking at here? Um, this is much older earth. What we are, what we are looking at. So, earth around us would be older than fifteen thousand years. Oh. So it was formed um, before the ice age ended on, in Iceland and in the north, all over at, at this height, around fifteen thousand years ago. And um, most of the trees you see around us, especially the pine, um, the pine trees here on the sides. They are uh, all more recently planted, so um, it's very important to plant trees in Iceland uh, because our, our big problem here, we, we have so much rain and wind that uh, topsoil just washes down to the ocean uh, very quickly, so um, afforestation is, is uh, kind of an intense, intensive industry here to try and preserve that top, topsoil. And, Create microclimates, yeah, for farming, windbreaks, yeah. Do you want to hear about why there's so so Ab few trees? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so um, after the last ice age, as I said, 15,000 years ago, the, the 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 dominant frontier species of trees that took over here is the is birch, which is uh, very common in in northern climates and harsh climates and uh, birch started growing in the in lower valleys where you had uh, less wind and where there was more of a microclimate better conditions for trees and uh, in areas where you had a bit older earth so more topsoil and then uh, when the settlers came um, around the year 900 they brought livestock with them, um, cattle, not so much cattle, but some, and uh, sheep and horses. And um, sheep especially love to eat eat uh, birch saplings. So um, without knowing it, the sheep ate uh, many generations of birch. And uh, basically this is still going on because sheep is, is walking freely in Iceland every summer. They are not fenced in. The fences you see around the farms are actually to keep the sheep out of the hay fields. So, um, and then the, the Vikings that settled here at that time also of course used uh, a lot of the bigger birch for firewood and to, to aid them in survival here because it was very tough. As you can see it's very exposed. And, um, a lot of tough weather conditions so um, yeah that's the reason why why there's not so many trees around today makes yeah. sense uh, I've heard a lot of people describe Iceland as uh, it, looks, it looks like Mars they think they've landed on yes. Mars <laughs> yeah yes yeah. uh, there are quite a few rocks and it's very barren around the airport there when you're driving in so uh, um, just um, just a week ago uh, I think NASA came to Iceland again because all the Apollo missions was done in Iceland because it was 
it resembled the landscape of the moon. So um, the old Apollo missions trained here in the center of Iceland. And now they're going to launch a new training here in Iceland, preparing for uh, Mars missions. That's interesting. Yes. I did not know that. Yeah. That's very interesting. Iceland also have a lot of lava tubes. And um, lava tubes formed during, uh, during eruptions. So Iceland basically has lava tubes from since it came above sea level up to where it is now. And uh, they say that uh, lava, using lava tubes on Mars might be um, an option for a settlement because it's underground, more protected, and it might bring you closer to a water source, which would be in the form of ice. So I'm not sure, maybe they'll study in that direction as well, setting up habitats in, in these lava tubes. Yeah. I'm just speculating about that part. Sure. sure. Yeah. Now we uh, just recently passed some of the, the sheep that you were talking about earlier, and we also passed a, a gentleman who looked like uh, he was riding a yeah. bike. He had a Canadian flag on the back of his bike, and he was loaded down, man. I mean, he had some stuff on that bike. Yes. Uh, what do you think his story is? Do you think he's traveling across the country, or? What do you yeah. Think? Yeah. I've uh, I've met quite a few people every summer or uh, early summer cyclists come to Iceland um, and many of them even do the round trip around Iceland so they'll they'll carry all their camping gear with them and uh, they'll yeah they'll cycle through this sometimes crazy weather conditions and wind uh, as I mentioned earlier Iceland is one of the three windiest places on the planet so uh, very determined individuals for sure yeah, I was going to say, it, it's, it's coming down pretty good right now. You can probably hear it on the podcast. And, uh, and this gentleman, he was uh, had all of his gear on, and like I said, his bike was loaded down. So you, uh, as you pointed out, you have to be very dedicated and committed to, to uh, ride a bike 11, what, 1,100 kilometers around uh, the perimeter? 1,200, yeah, 1,200. 1,200 yeah. kilometers, and, uh, and especially under those conditions. Uh, yeah, there's, there's not too much to stop the wind out here, so I can see why it is so yeah. windy and, and yeah. hilly too. So uh, it's nice when you get to a point like we're on right now where you're going downhill and get a little break. Yeah, adventurers are very attracted to Iceland because they love exactly this experience, the, the challenge of it, the peace you get here. So um, going on a bicycle around Iceland is something that I personally would like to do uh, also one day. Um, we'll see when the kids get older. Sure. Maybe we'll have more time for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and the population of Iceland is. It's now just over 350,000. Yeah. 350,000. And. Uh, it's growing steadily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the economy has been growing quite quite fast so therefore we need more people coming in yeah. so and I read a, an article a while back that said that we need around 4,000 immigrants um, coming to Iceland every year to sustain the growth as it is at the moment so um, we just have around 1% unemployment and uh, that's basically people that are maybe between jobs or 
physically or psychologically not able to work. Yeah, that's that's very good. And also heard, uh, you know, another statistic too that, um, well, the crime rate is very low. In fact, I think there was only one murder last year. Did I? Uh, I mean, that's yeah. kind of a gruesome yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, statistic. But the point being is that the crime rate is extremely low here. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a it's a very safe place to raise raise kids, and um, I feel sometimes we're in a in our own protective bubble here on this island. Yeah, uh, with crime rates being low and people knowing each other, so you have that you still have that small community feeling. Um, yeah, one murder a year is kind of still it's it's devastating to us as a society when when something like that happens where uh, where I come from and I lived in South Africa it it would not even reach the news for instance yeah so yeah big difference for me coming from that and coming over here yeah. to the safe environment yeah. yeah so you're from South Africa one thing I've noticed is the uh, the locals that we've met they're born and raised here all speak uh, three to five languages um, I think we also heard that they are required to learn English at age six, I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. They so start. Your, your kids are young, is that, is that true? Yeah, yeah. they start um, very early, so in kindergarten already they'll start um, uh, exposing them to some English. Mm. So of course, um, if you only speak Icelandic, then when you're going to travel somewhere, since only a very small amount of people speak Icelandic, uh, you might be kind of stuck. So English, English is definitely, or a second language is a must for for Icelanders. Sure. And so um, Icelanders are also have many international parents that might have moved here from somewhere else. Mm. So then they automatically would pick up maybe a third language as well. Mm. And then there's also the case of young Icelanders after graduating moving to other countries in Europe to go and work, uh, just to travel a little bit and, and live somewhere else. And uh, in that sense, if they have a young family, their children will also pick up um, another Scandinavian language or European language. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So language is very important here. Yeah. And, uh, yeah you're, you've been here uh, 12 years. Do you, do you speak Icelandic? Yeah, I speak Icelandic. Uh, Icelandic grammar is very complicated, so even though I speak Icelandic, my, my grammar isn't perfect, so I can't get away with being a, a Icelander just yet. <laughs> they still realize it after a little bit of right. time to me. Yeah. It's, so, it's, how did, yeah, sorry, so how did you learn the language? Um, I, I did initially start a, a language course, which I didn't complete. Um, and then I picked it up uh, just passively listening, uh, listening to people talk and trying to read Icelandic. Uh -huh. And then um, one year, one year that I was here, I moved to a small fishing village in the northwest of Iceland. And uh, it was a tiny village, and people there were not so keen on speaking English all the time. So uh, there I worked in in uh, in uh, salmon farming industry because mm. I'm also a, 
a commercial or a professional diver. Mm -hmm. So I was building salmon cages in the fjords. Mm -hmm. And um, there I picked up a lot of Icelandic. Mm. Yeah, because all the work meetings were in Icelandic. And people didn't just switch to English for your convenience. Yeah. Which was very important for me. Since then, um, Icelandic, when I moved back to Reykjavik, Icelandic made a lot more sense. Yeah. A little bit more about Icelandic, if you were yep. wondering. Uh, Icelandic is, is the original Norse language. So, um, all the other Nordic countries or Scandinavian countries, uh, Norway, Denmark and Sweden, uh, those countries spoke Icelandic uh, many years back. Mm. And uh, then when Icelanders came to Iceland, just like the horse breeds, the cattle breeds, it got isolated here, the, mm. the language, mm -hmm. and didn't change much. So while the other uh, more European mainland Scandinavian countries like Swedish, Sweden, uh, evolved a little bit with European languages, other Germanic languages. So, um, Icelandic, Icelandic uh, if you know Icelandic, you can basically read the old history of those countries as well, mm. which, which those countries can't read anymore. Mm. So they are closely related, the languages, mm -hmm. Norwegian, Swedish, Icelandic and Danish. Hey everybody, Scott here to take another 60 seconds to talk about a sponsor. I'm very excited to have to your cron, Suburban Buzz. Suburban Buzz takes the sting out of your marketing costs. Suburban Buzz can take care of your web development, social media, digital marketing, and general advertising, all available from Suburban Buzz. Visit Suburban Buzz at SuburbanBuzz.com. Now the owner, Holly Shavisnik, didn't ask me to read this part. I've used Holly's great service for many years. If you're a small business owner like me or just need to advertise, you need the reliable, quick service that you can count on from Holly and the Suburban Buzz team. So check them out at SuburbanBuzz.com. That is SuburbanBuzz.com. Okay, so we're at our first stop. Uh, actually, uh, just about to leave. I just... Uh, walk behind a waterfall and uh louis what is the name of this waterfall please uh this one is called Foss, and uh definitely one of the most viewed waterfalls on the south coast here very beautiful yeah, yeah. and uh, you made an interesting comment there's uh about four small waterfalls next to the main waterfall and uh, the reason for that is uh yeah just the uh, the high amount of precipitation rain we've been having in the last days a lot of flood warnings and and uh, yeah pretty standard for for Iceland in the in some of the springtime yeah definitely so yeah it was a uh, it was a nice little walk uh, behind the waterfall and to the side and uh, still raining pretty hard so uh, a lot of people were not dressed appropriately in their drenched jeans and <laughs> yeah. yeah for the rest of the day in, in those jeans i don't know what so. they're thinking i have my ski jacket on i have my snowboarding yeah. pants yeah. on and my snow boots uh and i feel great i feel dry and i feel uh feel well dressed for for this type of thing but uh, uh and i want to go back uh for a minute to uh something we said when we were driving in i'm uh, talking about you know i'm 
bit of a foodie. I like trying different things. And of course, one of the things advertised is the puffin. And uh, I was uh, inquiring about uh, snacking on some puffin. And then you brought something to my attention that I had no idea of until now. And that is uh, what about the puffin should we be aware of? Uh, well, there was research released out of the UK just about two weeks ago that puffins are now on the endangered species list um, with a number of, of other seabirds, but the puffin is the most well-known of those, so um, I would strongly recommend or discourage people from trying puffin at restaurants here. Um, I guess the regulations will come through later, it's only just recently been revealed this study so restaurants are still serving puffin mainly for the tourism industry yeah, yeah. and uh, I appreciate you bringing that uh, to my attention because I'm no longer no longer going to be seeking out any puffin so uh, please uh, America listen uh, stay away from the puffin go for the hot dogs uh, <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, I, you know another uh, interesting tidbit too because uh, we for example, quail. We talked about that. That uh, you know, we there's quail farms that raise quail for uh, restaurants and for egg, the eggs and that sort of thing. And I asked why they don't do that with puffin, and I thought your uh, answer was very interesting as well. Well, yeah. Um, the first reason um, is that puffins they are a seabird and they live for about two thirds of their life on the ocean. And um, like penguins, they also the, the couples mate for life so in that regard it would be very stressful for them to be in a, a farm situation and also the, the their main source of food is, is sand eel and sand eel um, I've never heard of anybody trying to farm sand eel I, I'm guessing that it might be a very difficult endeavor so um, yeah so I, I really don't think they're they're suited for for farming in that regard hmm. yeah so good to know everybody stay away from the puffin and uh, looking forward to our next stop thank okay. you Louie all right so we're arriving at stop number two the black sand beach something I've been looking forward to I got my uh, little cup to put my black sand in for my cigar ashtray back back home that has sands from all over the world. This will certainly be one of the more interesting beaches uh, for that collection. So, um, so tell us uh, about the black sand beach, Louis. What, why is the sand black? Well, um, basalt rock is usually a black color. So, basically, it's just the ocean that has been breaking down lava and. Uh, Higher up the beaches, you normally get a more round um, stone, mm. and then where more action is down further down on the beach, these stones have been ground up into finer particles. That's sand. Mm. So black sand beaches have become um, very famous to come and come and look at around Iceland, uh, which we'll see very soon. It looks very beautiful. Yeah. And uh, when we were driving in, you, you mentioned uh, there's, a, there's a port here. Yeah, this is the harbor that goes to the Westman Islands, Westman Eyjar in, in Icelandic. And um, these islands, they're, they're called the Westman Islands because of 
Um, actually, it has to do with the first settlers that came to Iceland from Norway. So the settlers they used to they used to um, they landed on the south coast here, just a little bit further down. And uh, the, the main guy was called uh, main chieftain was called Inkolver Artnason, and he traveled up this this black sand beach coast here until he reached uh, the town Selfos, which we passed through earlier. And there at Selfos he left his brother-in-law in charge of a few Irish monks that they captured on the way when huh. they landed here. The Irish monks were, uh, th is thought to be actually the first people that were here. They were not settlers, they were just seeking um, peace to practice religion. Mm. So kind of a meditating er space. Mm -hmm. And um, then Inkelver left his brother-in-law in charge of the monks there at Selfos, and he went a little bit further up, where he eventually found the area where Reykjavik is now, where, where we started this morning. And um, he said, okay, this is where we're going to come and settle. And he head, he head back to his brother-in-law to inform him about this. And when he came there, he saw that the Irish monks had actually overthrown his brother-in-law's party <laughs> and um, and ended a lot of their lives mm. and uh, they then fled the Irish monks fled to the Westman Islands here of the coast uh, with the boats and uh, this is eventually where Inkelver then very enraged about what they had done had caught up to to them and mm. uh, a little bit gruesome then what happened after that to them yeah. so not pa many of payback. them survived payback yes. yeah and uh, yeah, that's why the islands are called the Westman Islands. It's also a great place to go and see puffins and other seabirds. And it's also the place where they, they held uh, Keiko, Free Willy, the, the, sure. the orca. Yeah, 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 interesting. Now we were uh, discussing, we were looking at a map of Iceland last night. We were discussing uh, Reykjavik and where it's located. And uh, <clears throat> when you look at the southern coastline of Iceland, it's uh, very smooth, kind of unprotected. Uh, Reykjavik, if you're going up the coastline on the west side of, of Iceland, seems the f like it's the first place that's really protected. Uh, you know, there's some nice bay area in there. Is that, uh, is our theory correct that maybe that's why they settled there because it is a protected area? Yes, mm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So Reykjavik is kind of in a bowl yeah. and it's protected from the sides and mm -hmm. the mountains uh, behind it. Mm -hmm. and. Yeah, so um, because the dominant wind in Iceland is the northeast wind, mm. um, Reykjavik is exactly in the southwest. Yeah. So Reykjavik is is uh, yeah. Now what uh, what we are driving on is is it's amazing looking. It really is very fine powdered, very black sand with uh, a few strands of a uh, few blades of grass growing in between. Uh, and uh, there's some pretty big waves out there today too. Is it normally uh, that choppy? Um, it's very choppy today because we have this extra bit of wind uh, here. Uh -huh. So, um, but normally the the ocean around Iceland is is very tough, as fishermen in Iceland would would tell you. Mm. Yeah, some of the f toughest fishing grounds yeah. in the world, especially between Iceland and. Greenland and the Denmark Strait, that area is very well known for rough seas. Mm -hmm. um, people sometimes get in trouble 
um, going too close to the ocean here and being pulled in by the the, the sneaker waves. Yes, yeah. uh, I was going to ask you about that because we were discussing that last night as well. Uh, one of the locals was telling us that uh, uh, many people have been swept away. It's very unassuming uh, that you should be very careful uh, about even if, if it's uh, not wet where you are, the, the, they can, the waves can just come in and grab you and sweep you out to sea. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's happened unfortunately quite a few times, but um, now there's, they've put a lot more effort into putting up warning signs and in all different kind of languages to warn people about this. Wow. Yeah, that's good. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go grab some sand. I just hit record because uh, we were chatting about um, names in Iceland and uh, um, Louis was mentioning that uh, you cannot just pick any name for your, your child. No, no, it has to be, there's something called the Icelandic book or the Icelandic registers and um, there is a specific list of boy and girl names. Uh, I think for I think it can take you just about um, three to five days evenings at home to go through all of the names and you can sort out um, the ones that you like and uh, and thin it out from there but you can't pick any any random name you have to name your child from the Icelandic registers naming list so and then uh, if you want to name them some something else you could apply and um, they reject over 80% of the applications because the names need to fall into the grammar into Icelandic grammar rules and also or have a cultural uh, importance in uh, Icelandic cultural importance so, was this yeah. a, a difficult process for you to, to choose your children's names? No, I, I quite enjoyed it. There are many, um, most Icelanders are named after natural phenomena, um, volcanoes, uh, weather conditions, um, very beautiful names after, after creatures out of folklore sometimes. So um, there's, there's enough options for everybody and uh, I find it actually made it a little bit easier, I guess. And I'm kind of happy to know that they are named an Icelandic name. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you mind sharing the names that you chose? Um, Katla is my oldest daughter's name, uh -huh. um, which is one of the biggest volcanoes in Iceland. Uh -huh. And uh, Mia is, is the younger one's name, but it's not Mia written with an I, it's an, a standard I, it's with an ex, uh, with a accent on the I. <clears throat> so Mia with a normal I don't exist oh. in Iceland. Yeah. Yeah, so some many people get end up getting named uh, the same thing. So for instance Jón is a very common Icelandic name. Uh -huh. And you mentioned also um, that you can go back in your family tree, your Icelandic family tree, uh, that information is available uh, to trace, trace back yeah, many so, generations. Yeah, 
so if you were born here you could you can uh, go to the website mm. called the Icelandic book mm. and uh, from there you could um, put in your identification details and it'll and somebody else's details and you can it'll show you how far back your family tree goes and where your families meet or how you are related to a certain person mm. or uh, eventually where you came from originally and so, uh, <laughs> you confirmed for us uh, something that we heard last night that uh, there's a dating app here where you can make sure that you're not related to someone that you uh, are interested in. Yeah, it's quite uh, it's quite handy actually if you think about it because uh, there's only 350,000 people now and just. Uh, Two decades ago, there were just around 300,000. Mm. So, in that way, you can see it makes a lot of sense to have something like that, uh -huh. just to be sure. Uh -huh. You know, uh -huh. yeah. you it's better to find it out before than find it out afterwards from somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that's that's uh, that would definitely be a handy app to have uh, if you're yeah. uh, still yeah. dating. So, but quite funny to hear about it. I mean. I think it's the only place in the world with anything like that, so quite, quite unique. I can confirm that I've never heard of anything like that anywhere that I've been, so yeah. Um, so just uh, kind of jumping around different subjects, I want to uh, uh, step over to another topic now, imports and exports. Um, we got into some discussions with some locals last night about um, uh, products that are just about everything I guess needs to be imported into Iceland but there are some products that are exported uh, what we heard last night maybe you can confirm seafood fish yeah fish is, is definitely uh, technically I think fish is our second biggest export mm. after um, aluminum so fish definitely, aluminum, uh, I'll get back to aluminum, um, lamb, lamb is a big export from Iceland and yeah the, those are basically the, the main uh, bigger exports but for sure the most stable export is fish. Yeah. yeah. Why, it, why is uh, the cost of living higher here? Is, is it because so much stuff is imported, is it taxes, is it a little bit of everything, what, why is the cost of living so? Yeah, definitely because of the, the imports and the, our location, everything needs to travel um, far to get here uh. or uh, over the ocean at uh -huh. least, so uh -huh. that extra cost plays a, plays a role. We are, um, at, at the moment I just heard on the news that um, Reykjavik is the most expensive place in the world to buy a beer, for instance. And that's uh, that's because of tax. We have very high tax on on alcohol and tobacco, and just in general, our income tax is very high. Um, but we we definitely see the benefits of that. So I'm not I'm definitely not complaining about tax, um, especially as a parent. You get so much benefits from the government. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. yeah. What are what are some of those benefits uh, you mentioned as a 
being a parent especially. So is that in the education system or uh, healthcare or a little bit of all of that? Yeah, so um, our healthcare is, is uh, basically free. We pay a little, um, a little payment for kind of a transaction fee when we see go to a doctor. And that's the same for our children. Uh, dentist is, is free for children up to 18 years old. And um, concerning paternity leave, um, I got uh, six months of paternity leave. Together, you, you and the mother gets, uh, get nine months. So, and you can split it. You can have three months for the mother and three months for the father. That's that you have to have, and then you have another three months that you can use as you want. So, usually we take the paternity and maternity leave at a reduced salary, and that's all paid. So we take it at a, a little bit reduced salary, and that means we can stay at home with our children for a year and walk straight into the same job again. Wow, that's so great. I feel it's very important something I appreciate after I moved here yeah absolutely all right so we're about to hit uh, stop number three which is Hotel Ranga am I pronouncing that correctly <laughs> Rangao <laughs> no, it's not oh, I was way off <laughs> Rangao close it's <laughs> it's not really a stop but it's a pretty famous hotel so we're just gonna yeah and I'm gonna have a look at it I'm gonna let my uh, wife Lavon jump in on this one she uh, she requested this stop Lavon would you like to comment on why we're stopping at the wrong gal it's kind of silly but the real housewives of um, Orange County were here and that's where we're stopping and there's been uh, Bill Gates I think has stayed here a bunch of famous people have stayed here yeah celebrity celebrity stop it is a uh, really incredible this uh, very quaint um, hotel, one-story hotel is out in the middle of uh, uh, pastures and farmland and uh, pretty good ways from uh, Reykjavik, probably 40 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe an hour? Uh, yeah, hour and a quarter, probably oh, hour and 15 minutes. Hour and a quarter, okay, yeah, so uh, way out here, and uh, but it's very nice, as, as Levant mentioned, a lot of celebrities stay here so uh, we're gonna check it out okay so we are at uh, stop number four um, this is Gullfoss Golden Falls and uh, one of one of the most beautiful and one of the biggest waterfalls in Iceland and um, yeah it's called Golden Falls for three reasons. Uh, there's one main reason, and uh, it's nice to to have a walk around and uh, come up with your own uh, reasons why you think it's called Gullfoss. And uh, you can do that, or I can tell you now. Just just up to you. Oh, I, I definitely uh, I want to try to figure it out. What would okay. you like to What would you like to do, Levon? That's up to you, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have something to to eat here, and then you can walk around and try to figure out, and then we discuss it a little bit afterwards. This must be a yeah. popular place because there are yes. a ton of buses here, uh, which means there's a ton of people here. I'm sure. Yeah. 
this is now part of the Golden Circle, one of the main stops of the Golden Circle. So the Golden Circle is also the the most done tour in Iceland. Yeah. So yeah, quite a few more people here than what we saw earlier. All right. So we're going to try to check it out here at Golfus. The uh, the answer to the question coming up soon. So we're back in the uh, uh, in the tr transportation, the uh, Range Rover. I'm trying to think, and uh, wow, we just uh, saw the falls. That was amazing. Um, we're a little wet and a little winded because coming back was all uphill. But uh, had a great lunch. Had some lamb soup, uh, which uh, was well received. And what, Levon, what did you have? Um, a baguette, salami, cheese, and tomatoes. Yeah, so uh, uh, great suggestion, Louie. Now, before we got here, you'd asked us a question. Uh, what was the question again? And, and we think we might have the answer, so. Uh, okay. Yeah. So the reason why it's called Golden Falls or Good Foss yeah. in Icelandic? Yeah, we, uh, this is probably a cheesy uh, answer, but the best we can come up with is this area is surrounded by grass that is goldish color. Um, okay, we can make a fourth reason as well. <laughs> You're very yeah. kind. Uh, go ahead, but, tell uh, us why it's it's called that. Yeah, so um, sometimes, especially in the in the in between seasons when the sun is very low, uh -huh. the sun sets here in the end of the valley. Mm. And it shines up right up into the valley, and usually at those those times, especially in the beginning of winter, the ice is covering all around the waterfall. So all the mist coming from the waterfall now um, turns to ice, and the sun shining on the mist and on the ice it turns it into a completely gold color. Mm. So it's very beautiful to see it in that time of year. So that's well. light refraction uh, through through the, but I'm curious, the gold color, is that because the water is uh, brownish because of the sediment? Is it, or? Um, no, it's just uh, the ice reflecting the, the sun's light, yeah. basically. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we saw pictures of that actually they had uh, displayed up there uh, before you get down the stairs to the falls. It was pretty amazing actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then the next reason is when the sun is out, um, you, you have a constant rainbow in the mist and they say there's gold at the end of the rainbow, a pot mm. of gold. Mm. And um, where that gold comes from is because there lived a very rich farmer very close to this, or a chieftain, very close to this waterfall. Mm. And um, he had a lot of gold, more than your average person mm. or your average Viking. Mm. And uh, one day he had to go to battle um, at the, our final stop, at the parliamentary, where the parliamentary meetings are held, Thingvellir. Mm. And um, he was scared of um, losing his life and that meant that somebody would take his gold and be as rich as he was. So instead of that happening, he brought his gold to the, to the waterfall here and he threw his gold down the waterfall. To, uh, knowing that nobody would ever go down there and uh, nobody would ever be as rich as he was. Huh. So that's the three the three reasons why it's called Kurtfos. 
the three and now four. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so we're on to our uh, fifth uh, There's stop. something more about the waterfall. Oh, okay. Um, uh, when when technology became, um, when uh, there was more technology coming mm. into Iceland and um, they wanted to build a hydroelectric power plant uh, up above the waterfall to stop um, to to generate electricity to melt al aluminum mm -hmm. and um, at that stage a young girl lived on a farm close by here and she used to come and meditate at the waterfall and uh, find inner peace practice mindfulness and uh, when she heard they wanted to dam up the the river above the waterfall that would of course destroy the waterfall so she petitioned to uh, to the people and uh, said that she would jump into the waterfall if if they do that and uh, they didn't take her very seriously so they just went ahead with their plans and um, then to prove to them she was serious she actually walked all the way from here to Reykjavik barefoot during the winter and begged in front of their houses and um, <clears throat> she gained so much sympathy from people in Reykjavik that they decided to halt the plants and that's why you can still see the waterfall today as it is because of her efforts yeah yeah and how long ago was that uh, ooh, um, I'm not exactly sure about the date on that but uh, probably before you know around the 1940s or something like that yeah it wasn't too long ago well, hopefully she kept all of her toes in her feet because there must have been some frostbite involved in that yeah, walk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you mentioned aluminum. <clears throat> uh, and uh, We talked about aluminum earlier as being one of the major exports of Iceland, and you said you wanted to come back to that. Uh, what, what else did you want to share about the aluminum? Yeah, so technically, aluminum is, is the biggest export of Iceland. Hmm. But, uh, in fact, the aluminum is brought into Iceland, and then the energy is used here to melt it because we have so much uh, cheap green energy and then it's exported again hmm. so um, they're the the main owners of the aluminum smelters in Iceland is a is a company called Alcan uh -huh. and one called Algoa uh -huh. which are Canadian and, and US uh -huh. companies uh -huh. um, so technically we are actually uh, exporting rather, you could say, electricity than aluminum. Yeah. Because it's not our aluminum that yeah. we are exporting. Yeah. Tra yeah. Transformed by the energy. Yeah. Generated yeah. here, the natural energy, which is in great abundance. Yeah, and they very those, interesting. Those companies get it for cheap, and uh, they probably get a tax write-off because it's green as well. So. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Probably so. Probably so. Yeah. Excellent. So we are on to stop number five, which is Geyser. All right, let's yeah. go do it. Okay. Okay. So we uh, we're going to combine uh, notes from a couple stops here. First of all, we stop and petted the Icelandic horses, uh, which is very cool. They have very long manes, very friendly animals, and uh, the one especially, I think he liked what I had for lunch because he was licking my fingers quite a bit. <laughs> the middle-aged one with the salt and pepper mane. But uh, 
that was nice very very friendly horses and then we stopped at the uh at the geysers and i'm gonna let our tour guide louis take over and explain uh talk about uh, some interesting facts and stories about the geysers okay so um the the main geyser we looked at the original geyser what all others are named after that one uh, isn't erupting anymore it stopped erupting in the 1930s and um, since then people claim to have seen it erupt but uh, we don't really believe them since they don't have any evidence <laughs> and um, then what we saw is also some beautiful uh, thermal pools that of course have the where you can see the cyanobacteria or the blue green algae that uh, created our atmosphere and and basically was the first photosynthesis on earth so that was that was very important, and one of these pools uh, is called Konungskvær, uh, which means King Spring. And um, three Viking chieftains used to sit close to the spring on three big boulders, and um, they were watching Geyser go off as a entertainment, and um, they were just there discussing business of land and having a little social time. And in between, when they got a bit bored, they would run, go to this spring, King Spring, and they would bathe in there. And uh, since the water is, is, is basically just under boiling, um, they had to have slaves run down to a cold river to fill up the spring and make it uh, cooler for them to be comfortable. So, um, yeah, quite a, quite a luxury life they had. <laughs> And uh, it was amazing. We got to go by the most active geyser, which goes off every, I don't know, two, three, four minutes. It, it varies, but uh, we got sprayed pretty good by that one. Yeah. And uh, that was cool. Very cool seeing that firsthand. Yeah, especially a day like today when you have very little wind, you, you really see the height it goes. It, um, I'm not sure in feet, but times three, I guess, around 75 feet that it, Sounds about that right. it goes up. Yep. And uh, this one is called Stroker, which means young guy, so oh. meaning young geyser, basically. Yep, and speaking of the weather, the wind is calm, the uh, skies have partially cleared, there's no rain, so we're enjoying our time. So what's, uh, what is stop number seven? Uh, now we're going to head uh, dry for a little bit uh, to Kerith, a volcanic crater that erupted around uh, 6,500 years ago. It's actually part of three volcanic craters, and uh, it's very beautiful to go and see it and take a, a walk around and look at what the changes it had made in the surroundings in, in the area. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, something came to mind too when we were walking up. Uh, an interesting fact you gave about the uh, Earth's activity in Iceland, the number of earthquakes recorded a month, I think you said, was yeah. pretty alarming. We have about um, 2,000 earthquakes minimum per month. So Iceland is moving apart at a rate of about two centimeters um, per year, which is about a little over an inch, I, I guess. Mm. Uh, it's about the same speed as your fingernails are growing, the average fingernail growth. And um, so, yeah, Iceland is constantly moving and things are constantly changing landscapes that look like this now could change instantly like for instance this 
this kind of movement would also affect geysers going off, like um, making this geyser not go off anymore. Yeah. It's just little movements that can alter everything like that, all, right. all the geology. All right. Well, let's uh, head to the volcano. Okay. That's funny. Interesting brochure for the uh, volcano. <laughs> so, Louis, we, uh, we stopped at a volcano. We uh, went slightly inside of it, but there's people like all the way down there. Uh, bluish green water, uh, beautiful red rock that you said is filled with uh, iron. Yeah. yeah, so it's just rust basically. Yeah, happening and uh, yeah, yeah. So what's uh, what kind of uh, interesting, fun-filled facts do you have uh, for us on the volcano here? Um, this one, yeah, it's about six thousand five hundred years ago. This area erupted here, and there's three craters formed here, mm. and um, that's responsible for the next layer of Iceland being built in this area. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was, it's still, the, then um, after the eruption, it actually blocked and it, it went extinct. So these ones are not gonna, gonna blow up in the future. And yeah, now it's become a very popular tourist attraction because of its beautiful shape. And uh, yeah, I, I myself have been thinking many times to go and scuba dive inside of it which i don't think is allowed so i might not pursue that <laughs> in the end yeah yeah and uh you mentioned uh, something interesting driving in too that there's a lot of vacation homes beautiful little vacation homes um coming in uh, maybe our listeners would like to know about those vacation homes yeah, yeah so um uh, between icelandic families they would maybe own one together and they would share it and then um, in Iceland when you work in Iceland you have to belong to a union and our unions they own a lot of these summer homes all around Iceland mm. usually in more forested and areas with a with a better microclimate mm -hmm. and um, this is they're called summer homes but we use them straight through the winter as well the the number one requirement for a summer house is that they would have a hot tub and um, that therefore they need to be in uh, areas with high geothermal activity so you can get uh, environmentally and abundant hot water just heated by the magma mm -hmm. beneath the surface here. And um, yeah, so we would go just pay a cleaning fee and, and book one of these houses to go and, and relax, get out of the, the big city life, out of Reykjavik, mm. which is not that big. <laughs> what's, a, a, what's a normal cleaning fee run, average cleaning fee? Um, we would pay around 12,000 crowns for a, for a long weekend. Yeah, and 12,000 crowns, so, basically if you uh, move your decimal two to the left, you ha you'll have U.S. currency, which is... Uh, uh, 120? Um, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, 120. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's in when you compare it in Iceland to food, for instance, it's about um, four hamburger and chips. <laughs> yeah, very reasonable. Yeah, very reasonable. Well, very good. All right, so onward to our next. Yeah, the the final stop is the probably the most uh, popular place in Iceland and uh, it's called Thingvellir and it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site because of historical reasons 
um, the first parliament in the world was established there and also you can see the tectonic plates splitting apart on a more human scale so it's easy to observe it there this geology off we go okay. Okay, we are at stop number eight, I believe. Uh, this is the largest lake in Iceland, is one of the features. Um, more, uh, Louis navigating a kind of a narrow road here with sightseers too, so people are weaving around and stuff. But uh, <laughs> uh, what, what is the name of the lake, Louis? Uh, it's called Thingvatlavat. And um, the lake is do you mind if I tell more about the lake now? Oh, please, yes. It's, uh, it's right between the two tectonic plates. So we we basically just left the Eurasian tectonic plate. And we are now in between the plates in no man's land. So we are not on any tectonic plate. Um, I the, can feel it. I can feel yeah. it. It's, yeah, I can feel the emptiness right here. Fragile, earth <laughs> cracking apart. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this whole area moves apart about, uh, yeah, two, as I, I think I said before, two centimeters a year. About that, the, the, the speed that your nails grow? Yes. Is that, yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, everything in here is breaking up in the middle here and the crust of the earth here is getting thinner and thinner until we would have enough space created or a weak parts in the crust for new eruptions to come through. Mm -hmm. So we are now on, that, um, on the rift through Iceland. Uh -huh. And from here, from this point, Iceland is growing outwards. Um, back to the lake's name, the lake Thingvatlavat, that means Parliament Valley Waters. Um, and it's named after the national park which we are in now, uh, named uh, Thingvatlir. And Thingvatlir means Parliament Valley. And uh, that's because the first parliament was established here in the year 930 hmm. and therefore it got UNESCO World Heritage status. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful here, it's a barren, uh, there's a lot of little inlets uh, with picnic tables that you can park and... This is all birch, birch trees here next okay. to us. Yeah. And uh, this uh, terrain that we're seeing that's in between the birch is pretty common too that we've seen a lot of. It's mossy with uh, dark rock. And uh, uh, what is uh, unique about this particular area is the birch. Otherwise, um, what, we, what we see is the mossy dark rock and that's it. Sort of where people get the notion that this may be what Mars looks like, and uh, um, which reminds me, you said something earlier, and I, I honestly can't remember if I was recording or not, but a uh, very interesting fact about NASA training their astronauts here. Yeah, so um, all the Apollo missions, um, they, were, they were training here in Iceland because uh, it resembled the moon, and um, NASA just recently announced that they're gonna commence a training program here again um, this time rather for Mars so I'm not sure they're gonna train astronauts because I don't think NASA will be the first to send up astronauts uh, to Mars um, it might be more private companies like SpaceX 
but mm. uh, they are they are going to be providing a lot of the equipment that needs to be used and the technology. So I guess rovers and and uh, other technology like that they would be testing here in Iceland mm. on this terrain. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, that. Uh that concludes our final destination for the tour, I believe. One thing I forgot to uh, mention is that um, this area actually belonged to an outlaw, this land here. And uh, when, when this person got outlawed, which happens at these parliamentary meetings, um, the land, then they didn't know what to do with the land. And since it was a very central location, uh, they decided to hold these these parliamentary meetings here and also it was a very magical place because here everything is moving apart and uh, very strange things are happening here that they couldn't explain in that time and even water here coming out of the springs here don't freeze in the winter time so it was a very unique place to hold those meetings uh, yeah so fascinating place fascinating place All right, so we are wrapping up our wonderful day. Uh, Louis, thank you so much for your, your uh, kindness and hospitality and excellent, excellent uh, tour information uh, of Iceland. And uh, we've got, we got way more than uh, what we expected and it was just a wonderful day. So uh, we did break format a little bit on uh, your cron uh, with, uh, you know, this being a podcast, uh, Ordinary people and their extraordinary stories, ordinary meaning non-celebrity, um, because you are basically our tour guide. But it as it turns out, the more I got to know you, you are, you have an extraordinary story moving here from uh, South Africa and, and uh, you know um, be becoming a, a local and just uh, blending right in. I mean, it's uh, you. you I, I feel like you've been here all your life. Uh, the way you guided us today, it, it was absolutely amazing. So. Having said that, I would like to uh, uh, ask you a question that I kind of finish up all of my podcasts and it's the same question, my guess. If 100 years from now, your uh, generation, family generations, 100 years from now, were listening to this podcast, what would you like them to remember about you? What would you like to, them to uh, remember about this recording? Well, um I would like them to see change that we maybe maybe have made. Uh, for instance, uh, protecting the puffin population and uh, just protecting nature in general. So when they would hear something like this at that time, I hope that we have delivered as humans on in this country, conserving nature and, and protecting it yeah, to the best we can. Well said, and uh, we will certainly uh, do our part and stay away from the puffin as far as a meal uh, and uh, do everything we can to further protect the environment. So um, good good advice, good words to live by, and uh, thanks again. It for was that. a pleasure having you two with me. Very, very nice tour. The, the I, I think you're the best tourist I ever had. <laughs> well, 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 now that's saying a lot, because <laughs> I'm sure you've, you've had a few, but uh, thank you for the kind words, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll pass on uh, uh, your name and uh, look forward to uh, 
passing information on so people can get a hold of you and, and enjoy the, the same experience that, that we enjoyed today. So thank you so much for everything. You're welcome. Thank you.